This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Tell it to me straight up. Hello, and welcome into the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast, proudly part of the Hill Varsity Network. I am Greg Smith, your, uh, I got a little bit of a break from quarter zip weather here. Like, it, it, we, got a, we got a little warm up. I like it. Um, my guest may or may not, I know he's a fall guy. I'm joined today by uh, Hill Varsity staff writer, Steve Mark. Steve, thank you for being back on the show. How are you, man? Hey, Greg, thanks for having me on. And yes, it is getting colder. I am loving it. Break out the quarter zips. I just can't get enough. I was slightly disappointed. It wasn't like colder in Minneapolis. <laughs> what was what was the gate? What was the temperature? Wasn't it in the 50s? At kickoff, I think it was like 48. I would have liked it a little bit more chillier, maybe oh, throwing some snowflakes. Let's go. This is Big Ten <laughs> no, football in the fall. Minnesota. No, no, no. No, no, oh. this is this is awful. Like now I got no because I have to manage like what I'm gonna do outside. Like I want to be outside and be warm. Like I don't want to be out there and like my hands are cold. Also, the other thing, and this is a very like specific thing to like my role, is that when we start to get to this time of the season, it gets to be a lot more difficult to do what I do on the sidelines of high school games. Like I'm walking around with my gimbal and my camera and I'm trying to tweet out stuff and I'm trying to like, it's much more difficult as my fingers start to get frozen. Um, as I got a little bit of a taste of uh, this past week uh, when I was at out in Beatrice, but it was just like, just the, like the beginnings of the frozen fingers, like by the end of the game, like it was a little rough. And I know that no one is playing this tiny violin with me right now on this, but still like it, it starts to impact the job. I got to bring hand warmers and stuff. It's just, it's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. I've lived that life where you're on the sideline of a, of a, of a high school playoff game in, in November and it's uh, around 40 degrees and dropping and you're <laughs> right. To, and you want to tweet out, tweet out stuff and uh your your fingers are shaking oh yeah i've been there um, it's, it's rough like thing. do you like what was because you've done this too like do you remember like what's the coldest one you've had to do do you remember yes i do it'll always stay stay <laughs> with me i was at elkhorn south um york the york dukes uh coach glenn snodgrass took the dukes up to uh, Omaha for a for a playoff battle with Elkhorn South. Um, I believe they won that game like ten to three. It was just a, a great football game, defensive football game. But man, I don't know, twenty degrees it had to been. Um, yeah, it was. And for what I did, I <laughs> took pictures in the first half and tried to get video in the second half. And man, a lot some sh shaky footage, let's say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for that game but yeah it was Elkhorn South um maybe like 2000 2018 2017 when they when they won state so yeah around there so I think around that I, the same time it was the year it was Xavier Betts senior season so the year that um Bellevue West won state and 
they, they were playing at, I don't I forget who they were playing. It was a playoff game at Bellevue West. It'll be a common theme. All of these will be playoff games unless you get something <laughs> random. Um, and I still, like, I have all the pictures saved because, like, the amount of snow that they got, like, the day before, and then you had to push it to the side. Um, and there was just ice everywhere. And it was just freezing that day or that night. Um, and it is weird. Like, some of those times, like, you get to those games and you get there and it might be about 40. And you're like, oh, okay, this might end up being okay. And then you remember that that temperature is going to drop like a stone, like as you go through the rest of that game, and you get to halftime, and it's just rough. Um, yeah, I'm not looking forward to getting to that type of weather. But this year, I'm gonna be prepared, man. I'm coming out with they were thermals. Like I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be layered up and ready to go because you got, you got to keep the content going. It's all about the content. Yeah, just because it gets a little cold out doesn't mean you need to stop doing your job. So bundle up and, and get to it. That's always that's always what I try to tell myself when I was shipping. <laughs> right. I just hear Aaron's voice in my head saying, like, do it for the content. Yeah. All right. Now, each week we have a couple of segments that are mainstays of the show. The first one is called Coach Speak, of course, where we'll go over something that a player, a coach, or a talking head said, and we'll give you the straight up breakdown of what they meant. Coach Speak to Real Talk. Uh, this week comes courtesy of Nebraska defensive back Cam Taylor Britt, who had this to say um, after, you know, Nebraska's loss to Minnesota this weekend. He said, quote, we had to flip the switch and wake up the whole defense and not just even talking about myself. It's everybody on the team. Everybody's just got to wake up. We've been playing in these night games and everybody got to sleep in. I don't feel like everybody was awake and ready to play this game. So coming out in the second half, I was just on everybody to wake up. Let's go out there and play our football. And it showed in the second half. Let's break that down. Steve, what does this mean? Yeah, so I think Cam is um, saying everything that fans wanted to say. Like um, They just didn't show up um, to start that game against the team that was ready to go coming. Now, I don't. Yeah, um, Nebraska played, what was it, eight straight eight straight weeks of football, and yep. uh, Minnesota was coming off a bye week, so maybe that has to do with some of it. But at the end of the day, um, if you're the coaching staff, if you're the players, your job is you're, you're there to play a football game, and, and you, that was a game that you needed. Um, now it gets really dicey to try to get to that six-win bull qualifier. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're the football team, if you're the uh, coaching staff, you, you want – you need to be ready to, to go in a game like that. And uh, yeah, maybe the eight straight weeks of football had something to play with it. There was a lot of probably tired minds and bodies, but again, that's how the schedule, everybody, everybody goes through that. Um, so that's, that's what I kind of think Cam was trying to get at. He was saying everything that, that the fans wanted were thinking at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there is to me, there's some layers to this one too, because I do think I, I agree with you that the eight straight games probably played a role um, and you can't, you can't, I guess, I don't, I don't want to just completely throw that to the side because that, that is a factor. Um, and you do end up like, I mean, it matters that, that you played eight straight football games, but, and so it just physically, but there was something that kind of caught two things that caught my eye that I definitely want to mention. Um, one thing that caught my attention during the week was leading up to this game was Scott Frost telling his team that we've got to put everything into this and then we can get the break. I don't like that mentally. Like, I just think that as much, even as much like quote unquote progress as we've talked about this program having, I still think that the team overall, and, and when I say team, I mean the coaches and the players are still too fragile for that to be the case. I, I just don't think that this program is in a spot right now 
where they can say, oh, yeah, like it's all in on, on this one thing and then we'll get to that break and we'll be OK. Because I just think that that does something to you mentally when you're just not ready for all of that. Right. Like I didn't like that at all. The other thing that caught my attention after the game, and I could have included this in that quote from Cam, was him then saying his extended comments or when he was maybe asked to follow up, you were in the room, was when he said that, you know, coach noticed it too before the game and tried to call it out and then guys still didn't wake up. That to me is concerning. I like if you're I know because I've heard it now for the last like over 24 hours that fans really grabbed on to the part of the quote that I read. And that, you know, the, you know, we needed to wake up and Scott Frost saying the stuff about juice. We didn't have enough juice. That's what everyone is paying attention to. But that next layer of coach recognized it, called it out, and it still didn't work. That part is really concerning. Sounds like a bad recipe, right? Like a recipe yeah. for more losses, like the rest of this season. It really does because it not only it, it's weird because you know, we knew that the, the very end of the schedule um, with the was, or Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa, that that part of the schedule was going to be tough no matter what. Now you add in the Minnesota loss, which is why you could not have lost that game. And now all of a sudden, Purdue looks kind of game the same way that I actually thought Minnesota, like it ties in together because I actually thought Minnesota um, for as much as people have kind of talked about them, like, and kind of, I think, overlooked that game a little bit to some extent, and Nebraska was favored slightly on the road. Um, I think people were doing the same thing with Purdue, and I, I think it was Derek that I had on, like, maybe maybe two weeks ago, where I, we were just talking about it, and he was like, I don't, are people noticing that Purdue is actually okay this year. They're not as bad, I don't think they're as bad as people, like, kind of think they are, and then lo and behold, you know, they go out and pull off the upset, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But, like, my point is, is that Nebraska's remaining schedule, there are no, like, hey, they're just going to go out and win that game. And then when you combine that with, oh, no, the wheels might be coming off mentally because they lost another game. Like, it, it is a bad recipe for what could – it would still is four more football games left. It, it's just a really tough situation for them to be in. Yeah, that's that's something that I've kind of like noticed for a while now, obviously. And I know fans like are called fans for a reason, like they're fanatics and they think their team is, you know, going to go in and win. But like going into the Minnesota game, Minnesota, I put along with like um, Purdue as in they shouldn't be, like these teams, these big West teams that you think Nebraska should win should not be chalked up as wins and like as much as they are. Like there is no reason for anyone to think that Nebraska was going to go up to Minnesota and win that game just because it's Minnesota. There's like a negative connotation with like Minnesota and Purdue being these like, Oh, Nebraska is going to go up there and win. Like, no, no, not at all. They're not. As bad. That. Yeah. They're not <laughs> as bad as people think. Minnesota is not as bad as people think Purdue is going to come in here. might be ranked, right? They're right. not as bad as people think the defense is better than you think. Um, they have two quarterbacks that they could throw out there and and do well. And oh, then, I already have like I just had it. I'm shaking my head. Not sorry to interrupt you, but I'm shaking my head because it just hit me about what the storyline is going to be for that week leading yeah. up with the two quarterbacks. It's going to cause confusion. It's going to be you know. The, but and also at the same time though, Jeff Brom and PJ Fleck have had Scott Frost number while they've been there yeah. and he's been here. Right? Like it, it's two coaching mm -hmm. matchups that have just not gone well because even we, and to illustrate your point even more 
like it was a two years ago now when Rondell Moore was hurt in that game against Purdue and there was such a feeling about oh Nebraska's gonna go get Purdue they're gonna beat him and then they lost that game anyway um it's just there's just and people know this but I feel like are still kind of reluctant to admit that the gap between these teams in the Big Ten West uh, in the Big Ten at large but in the Big Ten West is just so small like there really just isn't all that much difference and if you have a team that doesn't make mistakes and get in their own way or the the like kind of what PJ Fleck was saying about having that strong culture and you know what you're going to lean on when times get tough like it, it really comes out to your advantage and Nebraska hasn't had that and it really, and to your overall point, I agree. Like, it, I think at this stage, like, there there are no, like, oh, yeah, Nebraska's just going to go win that game, and we should just call, yeah. count that as a win. They're just not that program right now. No, they aren't. And and to, to piggyback, piggyback off the two quarterbacks from Purdue, they're actually going to throw out three of them probably. <laughs> Uh, the third ones are Burton. Uh, he's a, like a run first guy, just like Minnesota had uh, to throw a change up into everything. But yeah, it's Nebraska fans need to realize that the Big Ten West teams that you think are going to be shooing wins are not them. Like Purdue is better than you think. Minnesota is better than you think. Wisconsin doesn't seem to have a quarterback right now, but they're going to be tough. Yeah, uh, but you can't like Nebraska has not beaten Wisconsin since Bo Pelini was coaching yeah. here. Like I don't. Yeah, I, I would never. I like and I people and that was starting to kind of bubble up as people were thinking that oh yeah they're gonna Nebraska will get back on track before the Minnesota game and then when they get to Wisconsin they can beat them and all of that stuff like I, that's one of those that you have to see it to believe it with Wisconsin yeah. just the style clash in that game and the way that Wisconsin runs their program um, just isn't good but the thing is it's funny we're talking about the, the fan aspect of this I always have wondered this and I really do think that the way things have played out shows this I think that the players and coaches have a little bit of that feeling too that oh we're Nebraska and that's Minnesota they lost to Bowling Green they're down um there's top two running backs like they're not going to beat us like oh we're Nebraska it's a new season and we're playing Illinois that they wouldn't beat us like I, I think that that's also a player and coach thing as well I don't think that that just inflicts Nebraska fans um and, and I understand why it does with the fans like you said um that makes sense to me it doesn't make sense to me at all while why it feels like players and coaches also have that feeling despite them continuing to say on a weekly basis um nameless faithful's opponent yeah yeah they they say the right stuff in the in the press conferences but I think deep down there's probably a little bit about that yeah yeah, like it, it, it's just and so it's going to make for I don't I don't even know what the word my initial word is going to be interesting. Um, it's it's going to be a lot of hand wringing. I still can't find the word of what the end of this season is going to be like, um, because <laughs> I mean, as, as we've kind of alluded to, like, I really think that there's a chance that they don't win another game mm-hmm. and that would be in year four of Scott Frost with a four-year starting quarterback, a level of experience and talent on defense that coaches would just kill for. Like, it just, like, you really want that level of experience and talent on defense, especially in this conference. You really need that. Um, and for them to basically lose out if that ends up being what happens, like, it, it would be very bad, um, obviously. 
And there are going to be some really tough conversations um, that, that will need to happen. Because one of the things that I'll leave it here on this particular point, because there'll be plenty of time to talk about it. Um, one of the things that I'm already starting to see bubble up, and I think that it's the wrong way to approach this, and maybe you disagree, is that, yeah, maybe, you know, they just need to come back next year with a, like, retooled um, assistant coaching staff. We're past that point. The, the really like kind of unfortunate thing about, uh, about how this is all set up is that when you bring your entire staff with you to a job, that's your right. But then when things don't go well, you don't really take that reset button. That reset button or that eject seat is always there for coaches at the beginning of their tenures. We, we see it all the time, right? Scott Frost mm -hmm. elected not to do that. Um, and ride it out and double down. And then not only double down, like Mike Dawson left, he brought Mike Dawson back, gave him a different role, like all of that stuff. Like, I don't think that that's going to be the solution to this at the end of the year, if in fact there needs to be a change made, and if in fact they lose out, especially. Um, it's just gonna be, yeah, it's gonna be rough <laughs> if they continue to lose. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you kind of see, see that across across the nation in, in college football, um, just the year before the coach kind of gets one more season, you, you generally see a staff uh, shake up, right? I mean, that, mm -hmm. that kind of generally happens all the time. Most recently, maybe I think I remember Tom Herman at Texas. Yeah, that was the first one I thought of, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like a shake up with the staff. And then the next year, if things still don't go right. It's kind of the head coach's time. So um, yeah, it'll be really interesting. Um, there doesn't really seem to be like this, these last four games, um, there are winnable, they're all winnable games. I'll even put Ohio state in there, honestly, but I don't think it's like the usual juggernaut, even though they've kind of looked like, look like your normal Ohio state uh, right. recently. But, um, yeah, I just, <laughs> it's, <laughs> well, but see the prop part of the problem too, is, is for them to go like run the table to end the year would be something so incredibly different than what they've done under Frost to this point. I, I know for a fact, I know, because I've looked it up before, that they've not won three games in a row under him. I've, it's been few and far between for sure that they've won two in a row, especially Big Ten games, especially road games. Like, it's just – and so, yes, technically it could happen. And I do agree with you, though, that um, if the Nebraska that played against Oklahoma – in parts of that game, say for the penalties, Nebraska that showed up for Northwestern, obviously the one that played against Michigan, if they were to show up at like that in these remaining games, um, they'd have a chance in all of them. Um, but none of, but none of them are like slam dunk losses if they played like that and none of, but none of them are also slam dunk wins, even if they played like that. Right. So like, that's where you get to this weird spot with this team. Yeah. And I should clarify I do think the the remaining schedule are all winnable games, but I should clarify that that's extremely unlikely that I think that they're going to yeah, get to like wins <laughs> and, and with this. So it, it's just a, it's a really really tough spot, and I and I don't I actually go back and forth on whether or not it's a good thing right now that they have the bye week um, because on one hand, yeah, physically it's obviously a good thing. Like they played eight straight games and they need to have that break though it should be noted that part of the reason why they played those eight straight games is be because of the way that they kind of uh, changed the schedule around um and they wanted that to be <laughs> end up being the case um 
but on the other hand, it would be nice for them to have a game so they could just get that one out of their system and get a win if possible. Um, but we'll see kind of moving forward. Like I said, there'll be a lot of time to kind of dissect that um, in the coming weeks, because one of the things that I wanted to get to, and we, we one of the topics or, or parts of this we already kind of alluded to, is that there was a lot of wacky stuff that happened in college football over this past, this past weekend. Like the Nebraska game happened and it was what it was. Um, it was an 11 a.m. game. So after that, you kind of get an idea to kind of bounce around and watch some other games, um, which I always think is fun. Like we don't get to do enough of that in this job. Uh, so it's always fun to be able to kind of, or at least live, to be able to watch them live. So I want to start here with the team that Nebraska is going to play next week and a team they'll play, you know, to close out the season, the Iowa-Purdue game. Like how, what was your level of surprise that that was the way that that game went? Not surprised because uh, going into that game, I was kind of curious about it. And I looked up the history, the recent history of that series. And I believe Purdue is now three and one in its last uh, four games against Iowa. And so that for whatever reason, I even sent out a tweet earlier in the week that, you know, how Northwestern is Nebraska's kind of bugaboo, the, 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 the team that always kind of, um, seems to have like wacky games and just close games aside from this this year obviously but that is Nebraska Northwestern is um, Iowa and Purdue just for some reason Jeff Brom has Iowa's number and um, an interesting fact those so before this game um, Purdue was they had won the last two matchups and they had both um, both those games were uh, they were starting different quarterbacks. So no matter who was that quarterback, uh, Purdue was getting out of there out of that game with Iowa with the win. And um, yeah, I think it was they, they played three guys. Um, Purdue did um, last Saturday in that win. <laughs> they still got out of there with the with the win. So um, yeah, I generally wasn't wasn't surprised by um, Purdue's Purdue's win, but man, it's just kind of wacky how. Um, there's just always that one team that kind of gives gives another a problem. Yeah, it's always wild how that happens. And I think some of this with that particular series um, is just the styles that the teams play. And I think that in this particular game, um, Iowa being banged up in the secondary, like it was the like honestly one of the worst teams in the conference for Iowa to have to play. Um, yeah. Because number one, obviously they kind of have their number for whatever reason, but then also the strength of them with their passing game with David Bell, um, I can continue to just picture him running down the running up and down the field on them. Um, it, it's just really interesting. Like, and it's crazy how some teams like, and it's it's weird too. Like for on the flip side of that, the one team even though we were just talking about them and like, don't ever, don't take the game for granted. Nebraska has in stretches, at least played Wisconsin very close. Like, and to me, that's, and, and it, they, those scores, like if you've, we've really watched those games recently, like they end up being like a 10, 14 point win for Wisconsin, but it's always like, you know, some like weird play where it well, weird became like the norm with the special teams plays that Wisconsin comes up with against Nebraska or like Nebraska. If you go look at the yardage, Nebraska has a lot of yards that they put up on Wisconsin over the Scott Frost tenure. Um, the points just don't match it up. Like for whatever reason, like there are certain teams that just match up really well with others. And that Purdue team is definitely one with Iowa. And it's just an interesting clash. Um, and frankly, what is what, Nebraska's goal for their offense really was to like come into the Big Ten and like have that clash of styles and be able to execute that they just haven't been able to yeah absolutely and and like you said um, before 
uh, Iowa's uh, defense was kind of banged up, especially in defensive defensive backfield. And that was Riley Moss, a starting quarterback, uh, cornerback, not playing. And so to have your not to have your top quarter uh, corner um, not match out there, not match up out there when you have a guy like David Bell, that that's rough. Yeah. Now, one of the other things, too, is um, Cincinnati got another win this week. So they're now up to number two. Um, I am I, like somehow, well, I don't know, well, somehow is the right phrase. I know how. Um, I've become like the noted like G5 hater um, around the Hill Varsity <laughs> Network of podcasts. Like there was a time that Derek had me on the Varsity Club literally to argue with me about um, <laughs> G5's team making it to the playoffs. I don't believe they should make it, but have your own playoff. But um, Cincinnati <laughs> is the exception to the rule for this particular season. I feel like they built the resume um, because to me, my whole point, and it's fair or unfair, part of my point is, is that if you're going to be a G5 team that, not, that like knocks down that door and gets into the playoff, you really need a two-year resume um, to be able to do it. Cincinnati would have that if they continue this season um, and go undefeated. They won again this weekend. They are now number two um, in the latest AP poll that was released this morning. Uh, we record this uh, on Monday mornings. And so, like, they're de- I first like normally I am not rooting for this to happen because I think that they would just end up being a sacrificial lamb. But <laughs> as weird as things have been this year in college football. Like, I'm actually kind of excited to see if Cincinnati can keep this thing rolling. Yeah, I think they deserve the, they deserve the shot to go into a playoff. Um, it's been two straight years now of, of them looking like the real deal. And I think um, that they really deserve um, a chance to get into the playoff and, and show people what they can do. I think it's uh, good for college football and everything. And um, Luke Fickle has that, has that program running strong. Yeah, one of the things that, and, and listen, because of what also was happening around college football at this time, like with coaches being fired, and we're going to get to one of them here in a second, I guess, technically, Orgeron wasn't fired, but we'll get to Yeah, that. it's weird. So, like, that was a weird situation that we definitely got to talk about next. But, like, with, but how this ties in with Luke Fickle is everyone that's going to have an opening wants Luke Fickle, right? Like, I, we don't even need to write that column when it comes, like, <laughs> when you have an opening, like, just copy and paste Luke Fickle's name in there. Like, everybody wants him, right? Um, and, but what I find really interesting about this is that if he can get Cincinnati to the playoff from, that, from the AAC, and then knowing that they're going into the Big 12, like I was reading about this recently, like they're trying to also build, like, so like upgrade some facilities and get like a football complex and all of that. Like there was a really good, it was Yahoo, I believe, maybe Pete yeah. Samuel that wrote it, right? It was really good, detailed look into their program where like their strength and conditioning coaches are out here making meals for the team. And like, they don't have like nutrition and stuff. Like there is no Dave Ellis um, at the Cincinnati uh, football program. So like, as they continue to ramp that stuff up, like, I wonder if that helps them keep him like he seems to really like it there. Like, Mm -hmm. I think if there was ever a time to where like a coach says, nah, you know what? I don't really need to make that move to, you know, a different power five league or to a quote unquote bigger job, because look what we've got going here. I'm I'm an Ohio guy um, and we're going to eventually get into the big 12 and and with Oklahoma leaving, like that thing's going to be wide open. Like, who knows? Like, we could go in there, raise our recruiting profile, and really start to do some things. I've now talked myself into this. Actually, now, maybe now he should stay. Um, okay. I just think that's going to be a fascinating sub, a subplot um, as all of these teams now start, not all of them, but a lot of these teams start to have these openings. 
Yeah, he does seem like a, a all Ohio guy because I think in that same Yahoo report they said that he and his he and his wife and family have like never lived outside of the state of Ohio. Yeah, like I did, yeah, that wasn't that article. Yeah, yeah, and so I, I don't know. I just think that the way he's got everything going on with that program and what that program has um, going on um, with the, with the Big Twelve, I just think they have such a good thing going, and the possibilities are endless with them going to the Big Twelve and um, with the playoff eventually kind of hopefully hopefully i'm getting bigger here uh but yeah i think that you know cincinnati has a great thing going on and and fickle is going to be the top top guy um when when the positions come open but it'll be really interesting to see what he he wants to do yeah definitely now we (laughs) we alluded to this a little bit the lsu situation um that may have well Actually, I was going to say this might have been the wackiest thing all weekend, but there was another <laughs> SEC thing that we will get to that I don't know how to rank them, to be honest. Um, they're parting ways with Ed Orgeron, um, who, I mean, he was great from a wins and loss standpoint overall at LSU. Obviously, they won the national championship a couple of years ago with kind of that huge run with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and all those guys um, and like had all of those draft picks from the team. there's there's a lot to this situation because they also had not been winning at the level these last two years, like life at the borough, basically, um, that LSU would want to see, especially given how much, like those recruiting classes have been monsters as well. So it is not like lining up to what they need to be doing. And oh, by the way, uh, and this is always a factor that you also have to watch like your rivals in the SEC continue to ascend or stay where they are in the case of Alabama winning another national championship last season, right? And they also had that special tie with Nick Saban that, with him having been there. So like all of that on the field, <laughs> but then you compound that with all of the stuff off the field. And I don't know if you, did you get a chance to read, it was the athletic, right? With, that had all of the, the stuff about, um, and how he had the creepy stuff with the um, administrator's wife um, at the gas station and how, you know, basically Ed got divorced right before he had got that big contract with six years, $42 million extension. And basically the picture that has been painted from people in and around the LSU program is that Ed said, hey, man, I want to live my life and kind of live the single life and be out here living the life after winning a national championship. Which, on one hand, I, like you, you can't fault him, and that's not like illegal or anything. But on the other hand, you can't then also like hit on an administrator's wife, and then also like start to have that stuff affect your job performance because there's stuff in the in that report about hey, he was bringing women around the facility and that sort of thing, like. You got to keep those two things separate because the the second that it starts to go wrong or it starts to go poorly with wins and losses, exactly what happened to him was going to happen, right? LSU's administration was going to be like, eh, we're not going to look the other way so much on this anymore. Like that whole thing is kind of a mess. But then all that being said, he's going to stay there and coach for the through the season. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, such a bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like, like you said, it's such a weird and bizarre, bizarre thing because um, it seems like he got too comfortable, I guess. Um, And yeah. And like when you, when you get too comfortable, it starts affecting 
your work-life balance. Um, obviously there's a lot of off the field stuff with, with Ed, uh, with Ed. So um, yeah, they, they, they caught lightning in a bottle with Joe Brady being the offensive coordinator and, and Joe Burrow and that magnificent historical offense. That, God, they that offense was so good. Yeah, it was so great. But, but then just obviously, look, I'm not trying to live, tell, tell another human being how to live their life and everything. But like, if you're the head coach of LSU and you're such a high profile character in a sport and like in a state, I don't think you should be doing stuff like that. Right. No, like, especially no. when you're not winning as much as, as you were previously. And the, and you know how you know that though, is that you don't ever hear about this. Like this never, like it, like you, like there are always whispers about coaches because in general, like they're like just highly paid guys that have good charisma. Um, and so like you have like some like whispers every once in a while, but you generally like don't have the level of like, cause there's like photos out here of like him half naked in bed with a woman. Like you just don't ever see that. Right. Um, and that's how like, and so you just have to be smarter about the situation. Um, and you also, and it's like anything else, like this is like, you know, anyone else listening to this in their job like if they were out here living the life um and wanting to party all the time the second that that really is starts to affect your actual work like that ends up being a problem like that's not something that would be unique to a college football coach like that could happen to anybody um you just got to be smarter than to do that like it's just not and so and that's great and what the, the thing i always think about in these situations though if this is the stuff that we know that has been reported. What are the things that are out there that have happened that like, you know, he didn't either get caught with or we just, people just haven't really said yet because they still kind of like him um, as evidenced by, did you see that as part of the separation here, like he's contracted to come to like a couple LSU events a year. Like just, it's, it's, it's just a weird, like the whole, like you said, like the whole thing has been bizarre. Um, and then on top of all of that, because they, had actually been working on this over the last week like they went out and upset florida this week <laughs> like after all that like it's just such a strange it just tell, it just tells you how good lsu can can be if they have like a confident no drama head coach right yeah i've always like I, like lsu is one of those programs that i always maintain like should never be just average like not even like they shouldn't be bad like they should never be average um just because of the way like you go and look like the amount of recruits that they have in that state like and then because they can also pull from texas and you can pull from florida like you basically have the whole southeast um you've got obviously one of the best um atmospheres in all of college football in death valley uh, which is still on my bucket list um, for, for college football venues. I want to go there at night so bad. Like I have a list yeah. and that is way up there um, on the list. And so, yeah, they should never be average. And we've seen what it can be when it, when it's really rolling, like we've seen it where, whether it was that one year with Orgeron, but what Saban had built there um, was really the blueprint of what it could be. Obviously Les Miles had a lot of success there um, as well. And so we just, you know, we just see like, and then so transitioning here and staying in the SEC, as we talk about all of the different kind of weird things that happen, like, I don't even know what to do with this Tennessee thing. So uh, Ole Miss, obviously Lane Kiffin comes back to coach against Tennessee um, at, at Ole Miss. And first of all, I don't understand. I, okay. I understand like kind of the fan base passion against Lane for leaving them like that to go to Oakland. The only thing that I would say though, is that 
this just as recently as this past week leading up to the game, Lane Kiffin actually came out and said on the record that he kind of regretted leaving Tennessee because he really liked that job. So then you get that as the background, right? And then you get into the game and then Ole Miss is winning the game. The game is basically in hand and stuff starts flying from the stands. Like you've got golf balls flying at Lane Kiffin. You think he caught one. Um, he definitely uh, Odelled that water bottle coming off of the field. Like there was the like, now iconic picture of the mustard sitting on the field um, from people throwing a, a bottle of mustard. Like I just don't like, and, and good on, I'll start with the good. Good on um, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, for issuing a really harsh statement. Like, he was really strong in his language about that not being acceptable. Like, that was a good job to really react quickly to that. But I just don't even know, like, where to begin with what the debacle was that we saw in that game. So I think uh, a younger version of Lane and a more uh, less mature version of Lane would have handled what what went down at Tennessee differently. But I think to I want to give him credit because I think as he's as his career has gone on, he's he's grown up a bit, but he's still done a good job of staying true to who he actually is. And that's kind of like a quirky, funny, funny dude um, that makes fun of himself and everything like that. So, yeah, just I mean, (laughs) the Tennessee fans. They went into that game thinking they're going to go in with a war with this guy that kind of left us uh, for the NFL. But um, yeah, that, that had to be that. I can't wait to rewatch it. Obviously I followed it on social media when it was happening, but I can't wait to rewatch it and everything because man, that, that environment was just like, Oh, that, looked like that was so like before that. And I think it was Cole Kublik who said this is that Tennessee won't get and for obvious reasons. will not get the like kudos for this. Um, but the atmosphere was electric in there. There was a video uh, that actually I shared in Slack with all of you guys about like a video from the, the atmosphere, kind of the light show that they had at Newland Stadium and all of that. Like it looked really fun up until mm-hmm. it didn't, um, in which things kind of turned. And I, well, I'm going to have to go back and watch that too. But the sneakily Ole Miss has actually become a fun team to watch. Um, and as you guys who've listened to this podcast probably have now heard me say a couple of times here, like, oh, I have a little bit of investment in kind of Ole Miss and Mississippi State football because my wife's family is all down there. And so her, like her and her side of the family are all Mississippi State fans. So me even giving credit to Ole Miss right now, I'm going to get yelled at if one of them listens to this episode. Um, but like, but then the other half of the family will be totally fine because they like Ole Miss. But like, they've become fun to watch. And that series is now really interesting just because of like the two coaches um, that are involved. But Ole Miss plays a style of football, especially offensively, that you, you can't help but to watch, which is why it'll be curious. And we were talking about kind of coaches to watch. And you know that Luke Fickle is going to come up. It seems like Lane Kiffin's name continues to come up um, in some of these different things. And I even saw a thing where in, in regards to LSU with like, hey, maybe Lane Kiffin. Um, but I wonder if and the, the whole like he mature, he's matured thing, and I agree with that, is where this comes in. I wonder if he doesn't think, you know, I'm happy at this place if he is indeed happy. I, I should stay here and try to build here because if I go, like if Lane goes to LSU, for example, or goes to, well, he can't go to USC because he's already there, but like LSU or like another big high profile, let's say Miami comes open, um, then you know that the pressure is different there. Whereas Ole Miss, yeah, they want to win championships and I'm putting air quotes around this, but like really, how good are you supposed to be down there? It's kind of, and the blueprint is really 
um, in another part of the state in Starkville, right? Dan Mullen won enough games at, at Mississippi State for years. They, he was never going to be in jeopardy. He had a couple of 10-win seasons down there, um, had Dak Prescott and all those guys were kind of rolling in a nice way. They would have never gotten rid of him. And that's why, in part, like the state fans are so mad to this day at Dan Mullen for leaving because they embraced him and they wanted him to stay, but he needed a different challenge and all of that. And I just wonder if Lane doesn't see that and think, eh, I'll just stay here and wait it out. I've done the big job thing before. Yeah, I think um, with these jobs that are going to be coming open, I think there's always going to be a possibility of Lane jumping ship just because of what he's done in his career. But uh, like I said earlier, he's more mature now. So I think that likelihood is a lot less right now. But um, yeah, I think Ole Miss is definitely okay with being kind of like the cool guy, the cool guy, like, and just like maybe always always possible about knocking off Alabama. Always yeah, possible. We could always like, be in the mix. Yeah. Can always be in the mix, but maybe not just win a championship because like, you know, they're old Miss, like that can't happen, but I do yeah. think they're definitely, they're definitely okay with being that cool team with a cool head coach and just being that kind of like team in the SEC. Yeah. And especially if they continue winning the egg bowl, like that would also yeah. help for them. Um, but okay, so one thing I want to get to before we get to put him on blast, because we were talking about the coaching search thing, and I want to get your take on this. Um, Mel Tucker, his name has come up already, like and I mean, heavily. His name was coming up, and I meant to share this actually when I saw it on Saturday before all of the news came out about Ed Orgeron. Um, I, I think it was Feldman. I think it was Bruce Feldman on the Fox pregame show that said that, hey, the name that I keep hearing for LSU is Mel Tucker. Um, and I honestly had forgotten that he was an assistant there under Nick Saban. And so there is a tie there. Obviously, he's doing a good job this season um, at Michigan State. When you initially heard that, what was your take, I guess, uh, when you heard that like Mel Tucker is now kind of a hot name out there? It's just all happening so quickly with that guy. That's yeah. how I'm, that's what I'm thinking now. Yes. He, it, it is kind of like an interesting name because he does have roots in the sec and he did, he did work for some really great programs down there. I think he was on Georgia's staff too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he's like the style of offense that he runs to like, where like he still wants to run the ball, but then also like go off a of play action and throw it down the field. That just speaks sec to me, yeah. You know, and it's just like everything, everything that he's done, he's kind of like what he did that one year at Colorado and then um, what he's doing right now at Michigan State. Like, how far can he can he take the Spartans? Like, obviously, like, yes, you you take a good look at Mel Tucker. So I definitely see him as, as a possibility. But, man, it's all happening so quickly with this guy that makes you think, like, is he for real? Like, I don't know. We kind of want to see some sustained success, right, before we start, like, giving him these jobs. But, yeah, he's he's definitely one to look. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, here's the thing that I would say about that. And this is and because the other thing that will always naturally come up with him is, oh, he left Colorado so quickly um, that he'd be leaving uh, Michigan State quickly. Um, and he hasn't had the sustained success, like you said. But, hey, if LSU doesn't have a problem with it, then it is what it is, right? If they want to hire him, and if I'm Mel Tucker, I, I don't walk to LSU. I run. Like, I would be down there so fast. Sorry to Michigan State. But there is always going to be a ceiling at Michigan State that does not exist at LSU. Your ceiling at LSU is national championships, and we could really build this thing or continue really into this thing being a power. Like, you always um, are, like, especially coming off with the amount of talent that they already have on the roster, we're a couple of tweaks away from being an SEC championship contention, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. at Michigan State, I feel like you almost always have to catch lightning in a bottle like you are doing this year 
to then be able to be because if you think about it, like they're always going to be second fiddle in the state to Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And 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 it's always just going to be tougher than to consistently beat Michigan. It's they're generally going to be behind Penn State in the East. They're always going to be behind Ohio State <laughs> in the East. And then you've got whoever you've got to try to deal with in the West, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a tough thing um, for me to see how you sustain that success. So if, yeah, you can go ahead and you can get that one-year deal going and then go ahead and go to LSU, I absolutely take that if I'm him. Um, I, but I do understand the reservations, though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm never going to fault a guy for, like, you know, getting a better job. Like, all of his places that he's been, it's been a step up. I believe oh, yeah. that Colorado and, like, okay, so we got the head job at Colorado. That's awesome. You know, take a step forward to the, a Big Ten program, Michigan State. That's that was above Colorado in my in my book, and so yeah, you're always looking for that next thing. And and hey, if he's got it rolling right now, maybe strike while the iron's hot, so you don't have to show <laughs> right. anything bad, so things don't get bad at Michigan State before he take another job. But um, yeah, that, I don't know. It's really interesting, and I see where the see where the um kind of people looking at him for that for that opening i see where it's coming from and well i i don't hate it (laughs) no i I would at least at least this is what i always say about things that like i don't really have a vested interest in just keep it interesting i think that that would be interesting so i I definitely would want to see that now every week we end the show with a segment that we call put them on blast where we basically put someone on blast or something that they did or said put them on blast I've already spoiled mine because we've talked about it, but that's okay because they deserve to be mentioned twice. I'm going to go with Tennessee fans um, with who I'm putting on blast. You can't do that. Like you just cannot um, <laughs> out here throwing stuff on a field. And I really, really hope that this is not a precursor of anything that we're going to see moving forward in some of these other rivalry games. Cause we've got a bunch of them left to come because you know, you hit the down um, that in the season stretch and you get that last weekend, especially where you get all these rivalry games. Like I really hope that that's not something that other schools end up being out here emulating. Um, but Tennessee fans definitely have to go on blast and it did not do anything to really dissuade that feeling out there that Tennessee fans aren't really in touch with reality um, because that they're one of those fan bases that gets a lot of flack on social media for that. And in this case, it's all well-deserved. And I think the Tennessee fans, for just like making a fool of yourselves and making a spectacle. They honestly could have called the end of that game um, and no one would have really been like, you know, too bit out of shape about it. But yeah, Tennessee fans definitely have to go on blast for that. Steve, who are you putting on blast? I'd have to go with just Scott Frost and, and mentioning that little details got us. It's like, yeah, we know. Everybody knows. Um, so maybe just like stop saying that at post, like just, hey, coach speak coach speak just like say nothing and say a lot you know what I mean just say words that really don't mean anything that's what I'm kind of looking at right there for him but yeah um just a little little details got its beat yeah we know so that's just going to make everybody a little bit more upset I think so was it the I'm thinking was it the Michigan State game speaking of all the Michigan State talk was it the Michigan State game where we all kind of felt like he was a coach that looked like he had no more answers was it I think I think it was the Michigan State one. It was either Michigan I'm pretty sure. Um, That's what it kind of feels like as we continue to say this, like the details got us. Because the, and I know what fans will say because I've had people say this to me. Well, hey, Greg, why don't you guys ask the follow-up question of what don't, like, how do you fix that? 
The reason we don't, and I'm be honest with you, the reason we don't is because there's nothing he's going to say to that, number one. But yeah, number two, but number two, like what would you say to that? If I were to say, well, hey, coach, how do you fix those little details? I, there isn't really an answer for that, which actually underscores the problem, right? Like, because he went on to, speaking of the detailed thing, he also continued that and said, like, you know, all I'll continue to do is, is detailing it up. We'll keep detailing and see. And, and I just don't know. At some point, I think you have to come to the realization that a lack of fundamentals and attention to detail just is something that this program is under Frost. Like that just for whatever reason and whether it's, and it kind of goes hand in hand with that special team situation, to be totally honest, like it, it's all in the same kind of mix, right, of why they can't get that right because they just don't pay enough attention to the details for whatever reason. They give a lot of lip service to it, but it's clear that they really don't value it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and it's especially bad because you're in a conference in which that's basically the only thing that matters to the vast majority of teams that you're going to play. Unless you're playing Ohio State and Penn State, basically, teams that are really going to have a talent advantage, everyone else is basically in the same boat of we know that we have to win by doing the little things. Like it's the two, the re, that's the reason why Nebraska struggles so much with Iowa and Wisconsin and, and now Minnesota too, is because those programs, like they go to bed at night thinking about the details. They go to those practices and they know that if we don't do the little things right, we're going to get chewed out or we're going to have to run it again. Like they just know that it's in the DNA of those programs. And for whatever reason, it's not at Nebraska, no matter how many times he continues to say at press conferences that the, that the details beat us. Because they also, the other thing real quick is that at what point though, do you just do something different? Like you've obviously said this after at least 10 games, like yeah. something has to, something has to give. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned just doing the little, little things, right? Like Iowa, like look at Iowa, you know, they're of course they just got knocked off by Purdue, but they're still sitting pretty. They're still a really good um, football program and they have a really bad offense. But what do they do? They, they have a great defense and they have great special teams like that punter. I think he's an Australian. He pinned, he pinned um, Penn state inside like the 10, like, I don't know, three times, four times, they have great special teams. They have great defense and they're still winning like real, a good amount of games with bad offense. Yeah. They'll still end up winning the West because, yeah. but even despite having like no sizzle on offense whatsoever. None. None. Um, and honestly, a bunch of like, they have a lot of players on defense that like, I, and I see that I have, I've said this before. And I think that like Iowa, takes a lot of players that I think other teams would not would get them in recruiting and be like oh man why did we take that guy but you know what Iowa is and this goes to that whole like culture and like we know what we are and what we're going to do Iowa knows that guy right there may be a two-star he may not have had any like a lot of other power five offers but I know what I can build that guy into because I've done it before with insert guy x right and you can see that on their defensive line you see it in their linebacker core they get some better athletes in the secondary, but they also get those better athletes in the secondary because they, those guys have been able to see a number of guys in Iowa secondary go on to the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just interesting to just see this, the compare and contrast in what 
has, has transpired at Iowa because this year is the perfect year to see it. Like everybody thought that they wouldn't be as good. They obviously, and again, that offense is bad, um, but they still find a way to get it done because the other parts of the game are not, are not neglected. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I will say like, I really respect what Iowa does with like how they play and they develop. They're not flashy. They don't care about flashy flash and, Minnesota is another program like that. I love, like, I know a lot of people like to make jokes about them, but PJ Flex also kicking Nebraska's butt, right? And I really respect what they have going on. You're going to, you know what you're going to get. You know, opponents know what they're going to get from Minnesota. But I mean, games like Saturday still, still happen where they just like keep coming after you. They make you, they make you make the mistakes. And, you know, it's just, man, it just seems like Nebraska is not like, other big 10 West or big 10 teams, you know, they're, I just, they're just still. And, and the reason to wrap all of that up is because they still struggle to have an actual identity. Like what yeah, we're really talking about is those other teams and programs, they know who they are, what they want to be, how they're going to get there. And honestly, we're four years in with Scott Frost and we still really don't have a great grasp of what the team's identity is. And it was starting. And honestly, it was shifting right over the course of this season to where like, you're starting to run more of the coastal Carolina flair option, like their flavor of option, like, which I, I like, I like that idea, but we still just didn't, I still don't think we see enough of that. Um, That's a whole different topic, but like, I still, I just think that Nebraska struggles to find the true identity that they need and the and so when the going gets tough, they know what they're going to fall back on, and they just don't have that. Yeah, completely agree. And it's you know if you're a fan of Nebraska, it's just got to be disheartening to see teams like um, Iowa, Wisconsin, um, Minnesota know who they are, um, and just like win more games than you, and you're stuck, and you're stuck in in Lincoln, just like running running an offense that hasn't dive dove full in like Coastal Carolina is, so they won't do that. But um, that just leaves leaves them to not really having anything that they can rely on, in my opinion. Absolutely. Now, that we'll leave it there for today. Uh, subscribe to this podcast everywhere you listen to them. Rate us and leave us a five-star review. If you, only leave four, four, if you only leave four, I am inclined to think you're a hater and nobody wants that. Uh, make sure you're checking out the other podcasts on the Hill Varsity Network, the Mind Your Own Podcast, Varsity Club, Nebraska Preps Post Game Show, and the Hill Varsity Radio Show. Also, you can check out the Hale Varsity YouTube page. I am back on there with another recruiting question of the week video. You can get after us on Twitter at GregSmithHB and at Steve underscore Mark. Uh, you can also email the show at straightupbreakdownofhalevarsity.com. I will catch you guys next week. A Huda Media Production.